to episode 19 of Team Brit Talks. Team Brit aims to be the first all-disabled team to race in the Le Mans 24-hour and supports people with physical and psychological challenges in accessing motorsport through its racing academy. On the show, we'll be talking all things Team Brit, meeting the drivers, crew, friends and sponsors and discussing the issues at the centre of inclusion in motorsport. I'm Lucy Sheehan and today I'm joined by Team Brit driver Paul Fullock. Paul from Fairham in Southampton is a former former army officer. He survived a life-threatening diving incident, which left him with limited walking ability, reduced strength, problem speaking and communicating, and forced his early retirement from the army. He began working for himself, buying and restoring cars as a qualified mechanic and taking on incredible charity challenges. Paul began riding motorbikes as a teenager and is now the South Area representative for the UK Gay Bikers Motorcycle Club. On a touring trip to Wales in 2021, he was involved in an accident which resulted in the loss of part of his right leg. He was in hospital for a month and just a week after being discharged was back riding his bike. He was introduced to Team Brit by charity Blesma and had his race licence within a matter of weeks. He's now one of our rookie drivers and is competing in the Brit Car Trophy alongside Tyrone Mathurin. Hello, Paul. Hi, Lucy. How are you doing? I'm really well. How are you? I'm really well, thanks. Nice to speak to you. Yeah, you too. And uh, what an intro. I mean, I do like my intros on this show because generally everybody I speak to is pretty incredible. But uh, your backstory is really interesting and exciting and something I'd love to talk through today, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Lucy. That'd That'd be brilliant. No worries. Okay, so let's start where it all began. So what got you to join the army in the first place, Paul? Ah, so I was at university at the time and my housemate um, was looking at careers and the army came up and he he really wanted to go to an army recruitment um, centre but didn't want to go along on his own. So I sort of said, well, I'll I'll come along and sort of hold your hand Um, and went along. We listened to all the blurbs and, and I sort of sat there getting more and more interested and he sat there getting less and less interested. And by the end of it, I, I signed up and he didn't. So that that's it was a complete fluke of luck, really. So whoever you spoke to from the army did a great job of talking to you about how incredible it is. <laughs> yeah, they they mentioned you could get paid to go skydiving, and that was it. I was I was, I was in for that. And <laughs> the curry was really good. They had a, a curry that I remember being particularly uh, nice. And I thought, well, if this is what the food is like and this is what the career is like, then you know, sign me in. Priorities, yes. Yeah. So, so what were you actually doing when you when you joined? So I started alongside my um, university degree, um, and. I think I think by year two, um, they said, do I want to come full time and, and have a teaching role? So I did that, um, took a sabbatical um, and just got more and more involved. The more things I found out I could get involved with, the more I ended up doing. I can imagine that meeting you and, and knowing your personality. I think you're, you're definitely a go getter, aren't you? And, and get involved with it all. So so how long were you in the army and talk talk through what happened and why you had to leave much earlier than you had probably planned? Yes, yeah, so I, I I think it was in six years altogether from from stop to stop. Um, And just before I was due to go off to Sandhurst um, to start my my officer training, uh, we got taken on an exped out to Egypt to do some diving. Um, And during my career, I I got into skydiving and scuba diving. It was the two sort of sports that I really took a shine to. And uh, we were out there. It was supposed to be a bit of a, a kind of a nice time for us before we got back to the hard work. Um, and unfortunately, one of the dives, I ended up getting a severe bend um, and that, that sort of really ended my army career there and then. So for people that don't understand that, Paul, what, what is a bend? Uh, so a bend is normally um, from when you come up too quickly from depth. Um, in my case, uh, there were some complications, I think, with my heart. 
um, that uh, gave me all of the issues of a bend without actually sort of doing the bad diving part of the bend. Um, and once you get uh, that into your system, your brain starts to shut down um, the air bubbles that are created inside your body um, start to block all the blood flow. So you, you literally sort of die from the inside out. You die from the inside out. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty it's a pretty horrible experience. <laughs> um, yeah, the the um, the treatment for it is to get back into a decompression chamber um, as quickly as you can, and they then recompress your body to make the bubbles go small again, and therefore allow the blood blood flow uh, blood flow to continue. Um, but I didn't get that for I think seven hours. So I think normally you try and get there within about thirty minutes. Um, so it was a pretty, pretty severe bend. So do you remember everything and, and how it felt and, and what happened when you got taken out and when you had to go back in? Yeah, I, I do remember. Um, it's it's initially, for, for me, I was, I, I sort of came out and I was extremely tired, um, sort of confused. Uh, it's kind of like a bit of like a drunk feeling. Um, and that's your, your brain sort of shutting down. It's not quite sure what's going on. Um, it's quite painful as well, because obviously your brain is trying to interpret the signals coming in um it's not a pleasant experience i wouldn't wish it on anybody <laughs> um but sort of over the treatments i sort of remember bits um sort of over the week that followed where i think i had seven chamber dives uh, both here and uh, in the uk and in egypt and i, and I sort of remember bits from that but i it's very um, foggy if that makes sense yeah wow and and so that the impact of it is that something that lasts with you forever or thanks to the treatment that you received did the after effects subside uh, i've still it still affects me to this day um much less than it than it did the first sort of two or three years was was learning how to rewalk and re retalk um it, it's sort of it's quite debilitating um your your brain can recover from certain things but it does take time two to three years you were learning how to walk and talk again yeah that was a, that was a fun few years that one. um yeah that, that that wasn't wasn't the most fun I've, I've ever had my goodness and that was literally from a freak accident doing something that you love that's incredible isn't it so so what, talk, talk us about what happened next so that obviously forced your retirement from the army so did you know what to do next and where where your path would take you in terms of your career no, not really. Um, I sort of went back to what I knew. Um, and during the, the physiotherapy process, they were trying to get me to do things that um, sort of I was used to or cognitive things with my hands, um, hand coordination type stuff. And I used to be a really keen mechanic um, before I joined the army. So I went back to doing that. And I sort of started taking on my own work and trying to rebuild my memory and rebuild um, sort of the hand coordination that I needed to sort of do um, dexterous uh, tasks. So then you went and I think you started working for yourself in as a mechanic. Is that right? Yes, because the physio was was quite full uh, full time. It's really hard to hold down a job when sort of every day you're going off to physio or every other day you're, you're doing this. And some days you have really good days and some days you have really bad days with it. Um, so I sort of took the decision that the best thing to do was to work for myself and I knew I could push myself as much as possible without getting in the way of the physio. And then, so did you set up your own business at near home so that you still had a support network near you? Yes. Well, I, originally I was living up in East Anglia. Um, so I started working up there on, on, on my own. Um, but after a few years, I transferred back down to the South Coast to sort of be with my family. Once I got to the point where I could move what I was doing, um, the physio down here actually is a lot more specialist as well. Um, they have a lot more um, interest with it and a lot more diving accidents because of the Navy presence down in Portsmouth. Wow. Okay. And then, so that this interest in cars 
obviously we're going to get to your big interesting cars at the moment <laughs> but is it is it um cars and racing and wheels always been something that's been a big part of your life yeah right, right from day one really um especially motorbikes they were really early um interest in my life uh right from the you know the first bike that took me off to college right up to the faster ones that i started doing track days on right through to the racing um which i then sort of relied on to help me with rehabilitation um after the accident in what way so what, how did they help you in terms of your, your recovery it was just finding things really to number one replace the army life because it's really hard to be full-on in a military organization and then stop cold turkey um it, it's not something you really plan for and you miss you miss the activities and the adrenaline and all the people around you it's quite a big sort of hole it leaves in your life and part of it i found from racing motorcycles i got into that as soon as i sort of physically could um and that sort of fulfilled some of the adrenaline side of it and also some of the people that you work with and did you get did you take racing motorbikes seriously paul i mean what sort of racing were you doing was it fun stuff was it social riding or were you getting serious in terms of competition I was competing. Um, I, I was racing with BEMSI, which is the, the British National Motorcycling, Motorcycling Club. Um, and as far as my budget would take me, I took it seriously. <laughs> but quite often you'd find yourself um, sort of on, on the grid. Uh, and, I, you know, I think we, we were at the kind of place where we were packing our own sandwiches and you, you were up against teams that were rebuilding their engine every other race and had sort of manufacturer support. So it was definitely stiff competition, um, but that in part was part of the fun. You know, you were definitely the underdog trying to sort of nip at the heels of the big boys. So let's, before we get back into kind of the racing discussion and, and um, what biking, how biking led to a big ch- another big change in your life, I just wanted to touch on some of the really amazing challenges that you've done and some of the incredible uh, charity expeditions that you've been part of. So talk us through how you got involved in doing those kinds of things and which are the kind of most um, impressive ones that stick out in your memory. Oh, crumbs. Um, so... Yeah, so part of the recovery as well, like I said, was trying to replace what I'd lost um, from sort of my my family that I had in the military. Um, and luckily, I, I've got friends that are, are you know pretty pretty bonkers. Um, and we came up with a series of challenges to sort of go and just sort of really explore a little bit. We one of the better ones we we took um, we took a hundred pound car to the Gambia for charity once um, and to, to see if we could do it, uh, which we did. Um, took a month and was a lot of fun um hang on let's pause on that yeah <laughs> <laughs> you took a 100 pound car to the gambia so first of all was it a stipulation that you had to pick a very cheap and probably not very reliable car yeah so i, th- I think the rules the rules were it was 100 pounds on the car and 25 pounds doing it up ready for the desert um <laughs> and <laughs> I-, I blew the entire budget i think on a, on a pair of rally headlights and a lack of the horn <laughs> Uh, which was which was fantastic but it was an old we took an old audi audi 100 i think if i remember rightly and um yeah we swapped some parts for some alfa romeo seats and stuck them in it and yeah i think we welded some hammocks on the side and packed it full of army rations and and set off so how how many of you did this two of us uh so my best mate from from school um from when i was four uh, myself and simon we we just set off um into the desert <laughs> from here from home so from home to the gambia from home to the gambia yeah so it, it was uh, it was a long trip but it was at you know it's what i needed it was it was sort of got me back out there got me sort of pushing the boundary um 
and, and just sort of seeing what was possible. So, I mean, what kind of stuff did you have to meet on the way? And like, how many times did you break down? Um, so <laughs> I, I did spend some time working on the car before we went. And I'm I'm both embarrassed and pleased to say the thing didn't break down once. It went from here's the yes. Gambia. The whole, it had a slight water leak, which I nipped up on an on, online uh, overnight stop. And, it, and it, it didn't miss a beat. I mean, it was German engineering at its best. <laughs> that is incredible. So how many miles did you cover? I don't know the mileage, actually. I didn't stop. I don't think the, uh, the odometer count, uh, worked. Um, not, not, <laughs> much, not many things on that car worked. Um, but we sort of adapted it as we went. I think we stopped in Marrakesh and had the rear suspension welded, locked up, ready to go over the sand. And that worked quite well. Um, and in the morning, we would strap um, sort of army ration packs to the radiator hoses and set off and by lunchtime they'd be piping hot we'd stop we'd open them we'd eat them and we'd we'd carry on again that's nuts and what charity was it for uh it was for a charity in the gambia so they were supporting um schools at the time um and it i think we raised i think about twenty five thousand pounds maybe more than that it, it, it was a lot um even back then um and yeah, it was just a phenomenal trip. And we got to meet some phenomenal people as well. I bet. Wow. What a memory to, to treasure forever and something you probably want to keep safely stored so you don't forget about these. I bet there were some, so many ridiculous and amazing moments. Yeah, I have some photos of, of, uh, of us taking in turns to ride on the roof because it was just so hot in the bloody car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. And I think and um, slightly closer to home, I think you've done Land's End to John O'Groats as well. Yeah, we did that for a charity in London. A friend of mine, um, uh, very unfortunately, got meningitis um, and got a severe brain injury from it. So we we raised another twenty thousand, I think, for his hospital by riding. We tried to set the land speed record from John O'Groats to Land's End on fifty cc mopeds, um, fully restricted, <laughs> thirty mile an hour tops. And, and I swear there were some hills that some of them just wouldn't get up, and we we, <laughs> we had to uh, we had to tow them up and push them up and all sorts. But it was. It was such an interesting challenge because I've never ridden or driven that slowly. You get to see everything. I mean, you see a, a mountain in the distance and you've got eight hours to look at it because you, <laughs> you know that mountain inside out by the time you get to it. And then you've got to climb up it. It, it, was, um, it was a really fun one, really different as well. Yeah, when you really know how to pick a challenge, don't you? You don't go for the easy <laughs> option when you, you, you tackle something like this, Paul. Is that always, has that always been in your personality to like go big I'm, and bold? And, I'm the and dog all the way, absolutely. If they say it can't be done, that's the reason to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's brilliant. So actually, you've raised so much for charity, actually, haven't you, across all of these different expeditions? And that must be something that's quite close to your heart, helping others. Uh, do you, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't really know why we're put on this earth. But, you know, while you're here, I think, you know, you, you do your best and, and try and help those around you and, and just make it a pleasant place. Um, it, it's just, yeah, it's nice to see the look on people's faces when you can do something nice for someone else. And really recently, um, that's exactly what you've done when you went out to Ukraine on an aid trip. Yes. Um, so we've been doing that now for the past couple of months, uh, just collecting aid locally um, and taking it out there for charities uh, who are helping people come across the border um, from Ukraine into Poland, and they then rehouse them into the rest of Europe, um, because there's loads of refugees at the moment that need need a place to to live, but they need supplies whilst they're on that journey. Um, so that's been a real privilege, and I've I've been out there as well with uh, Chris Overend, who's another one of the drivers. He's come out and, and helped me um, do some of the driving, uh, and that's been yeah really fantastic uh, work. And what kind of reaction have you been getting from the people over there that are receiving this help? Oh, phenomenal. I mean, they, they, 
I think they can't believe how many just strangers are just turning up on their doorstep with the things that they need. Um, and the it, it's really odd. You see refugees all over the world and you sort of get a, a kind of kind of used to what a refugee often looks like, which is, you know, really run down and really you know, down on their luck. And it's not the case in Ukraine. The, these people have literally left their houses, you know, a week before, um, you know, they're, they're smartly dressed. They, they look, you know, just like you and I going to work, but they've just walked across their country and, and they, they need our help, you know, just as much as anybody else. Um, and it, it's just, it's, it's absolutely staggering how it can happen, you know, in this day and age, but it has, and we need to kind of get on and, and just sort of help where we can, I think. Oh, well, it's just incredible what you've been doing, Paul. And I know that the whole of the team are really proud of you for, for doing it. And I know one of your, your trips that you took a Team Brit van out, which we were happy to do our small part in. I, I phoned up Dave and went, you haven't got any vans, have you? And, and he, he just said, when do you need it? <laughs> <laughs> it? Didn't even ask. He was just like, yeah, you can have it. Just take what you need. And and it, yeah, we I took um I took a couple of uh, guys who took, took the Team Brit van and I took another van. I think we went in a convo of 12 about that time. And, uh, and then Chris Overend, like I said, um, had one of the vans adapted with hand controls, um, found a local uh, business in town that came out and did that for free um, so he could drive it. And he came and did, you know, he did the lion's share of the driving, actually. I must admit, on that trip, he was an absolute trooper. Oh, well, if there's something that all of our drivers like doing, that's driving. Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> no, no, no. He, really long way. <laughs> he took it so seriously. He was, uh, he, he was absolutely fantastic. He did not miss a beat the entire trip. Wow, okay. Well, so let's go back again to, um, so your love of motorbikes. So you got into biking quite early, as you say. Um, you were racing. Um, but unfortunately, it was uh, what led to a, um, a really serious part of your life where things went a bit wrong. So, so tell us what happened there. Yeah, so I, I've, I've, like I said, I love motorcycling for, for years and years. And I got sort of faster and faster on the road and eventually decided that racing was kind of the way forwards. And, and that you know, really helped with the, the previous sort of injury and the recovery. And then I sort of got into the road safety side of things. Um, I really enjoyed that sort of helping people become safer riders on the road. And subsequently, doing quite a few sort of trips around the world on bikes, um, sort of both in the UK and abroad. And it was just one of those trips. I was off with my partner just to go and um, see some friends in Wales. Um, a freak accident uh, happened and managed to come off. But I came off in such a way um, that I managed to misplace my, my right leg as I was doing it. So, yeah, still, still, still scratching my head about how that one happened. Um, but it was just out of the blue and it, yeah, I mean, it, it's, um, it's really doubled down on my belief that, you know, you could do everything right in, in the months, days, years, seconds before something happens and you can still get it wrong. Um, so, you know, hence why road safety is such an important thing to teach and to try and pass on to other people. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you can plan and plan and plan, but sometimes you, you can't plan for everything for the sounds of it. But I mean, the way that you just referred to that, you, you know, you're, I know you're, it's a serious issue, but you're slightly laughing and saying, I misplaced my leg, but that's just summarizes your shiny, happy personality, <laughs> pool, honestly. I, I mean, so how did you react when, first of all, you obviously went to hospital, um, how long were you there and, and what were you told about the severity of your injury? It, it was a weird journey, actually, because I had the um, accident um, initially um, and, and the boot contained most of the injury. Um, so it wasn't quite clear what I'd done. I was pretty sure it was serious, but I think everyone around me sort of thought that it wasn't as serious um, because it, it didn't look didn't look all that bad. Um, but it did hurt a lot. And the ambulance, uh, I think it took about an hour to get to where we were in Wales. Um, it got lost and uh, other Welsh problems. 
but um, eventually it did turn out the paramedic sort of said, look, this is a really serious injury. Um, and I think he even said, look, you might, you might lose this foot. So, you know, buckle in um, and take this seriously and, and, you know, get with the program because we had to do things like take boots off and, and it was all kind of quite serious. Uh, I remember going in the ambulance to the hospital um, and they sort of assessed there. And, and, and from there it was a bit patchy because I was in and out of theatre and the first conversation I had really was with the surgeon afterwards. And he said, look, we've, we've patched you back up as best we can, but I think you've broke 20, 30, 40 bones in your foot. I didn't even know I had that many, but I, I managed to break nearly all of them. And he said, it's sort of, the foot's been what they call degloved, um, and it's all a bit of a mess. So one of the options is try and repair it. And one of the options is to, you know, take it off. Um, and I had a little bit of time to think about that. And I sort of tried to come to peace with both options. And I talked with my partner over in detail and, and friends and family um, and opted to try and save it. Um, but uh, they had four or five operations, I think. Uh, I'm a bit sketchy on the details. Um, but on the last operation, um, they came out of it and said, look, it's just it's just not repairable. We've tried and tried and tried. So, you know, it's going to come off. Uh, and that, that was that. So it sort of made, made my mind up for me. And that's a big thing to come to terms with. And was it something that you struggled with or was it typical Paul fashion <laughs> seeing the positive and everything and, and cracking on because it, it must have been difficult for you to to try and save it and then it not be successful or was it something that you just easily accepted I, I think luckily I I researched both options in in the weeks that I'd had both options I'd researched both of them to make sure that either way because I knew it was a risk if even if I chose to save it there's a chance they wouldn't so I sort of had that time to to plan for both um, and both were kind of exciting in, in a way because one one of them was I got my foot back and one of them was what opportunities are there out there for doing things with one leg, you know, part mm. robot, as you know, part bulletproof at the end of the day, which is quite a cool thing <laughs> to, to write home about. Um, and I'd sort of seen um, other colleagues from the army who'd had similar um, injuries and, and they sort of sort of given me a bit of positive advice. And I think the only time was when the surgeon first came in and he sort of popped his head around the door and, and said, um, yeah, we're, we're going to take it off, mate. Um, see you in the morning. Uh, but I've got to go. Bye. <laughs> I think I was winded for about a minute or two then. But after that, got straight into, right, how can we, you know, smash through this? And what's on the other side, um, I think was very much the kind of focus that I gave myself to, to get through it. Um, I think you told me before that even when you were literally lying in the road, realising that you'd quite seriously hurt yourself, you were thinking... I'm not going to let this stop me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think first of all, it was, how was my bike? That was, that was uh, <laughs> you know, is it okay? Do I need to get any bits for it ordered? You know, there was kind of like, so there was, there was that, that, that was planned. Um, and then after that, I think when they started saying, oh, this is a bit more serious, I sort of started thinking, well, you know, how bad can it be? You know, it's only the right brake on a bike. Don't really need that. Um, so, you know, you still got front brake, you still get gears, you still get your clutch hand, you know, it'll be okay. It will be okay. Oh, well, and I'm so pleased to say that it has been okay and you've gone on to do some amazing things despite, awesome. <laughs> despite your injury. So really quickly, you were actually back on your bike, weren't you? Uh, I was, yeah, three weeks, I think, after the op. Um, I was back on, without the leg, um, I was back on uh, and riding back to work. What did the doctors say about that? Did they know you were doing it? Oh, God, no. No, no, no. They, they, <laughs> no, they, they were absolutely, you can't ride, you won't be able to drive, you, you won't be walking for a long time, you'll wheelchair for the rest of your life. You, they were really negative about the whole thing, which kind of yeah. pissed me off. But, um, but yeah, they, I think 
in a way that made me even more determined to go back and show them that it was all possible. And I, you know, if you can find a way to adapt or, 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 or you know, do do things, you can get around these problems. So, did you ride your motorbike with your prosthetic? No, no. This is this is months before I got the prosthetic. This was this was just a stump um, with a dressing on it. <laughs> it was all hanging off the side of the bike. Oh, wow. And then so, and were you just getting back into using your bike to get around? I assume you didn't go back into racing really quickly. No. So that was one thing they were really keen for me not to. They they for, for all of their kind of negative kind of advice they were like if you come off on a racetrack and you you open up that bit of your leg then you yeah. know you will not be saved <laughs> you will your blood loss will, will mean that they won't get to you in time so I did I, that was a bit of advice I, I did heed quite seriously but um just for being out on the road I sort of needed that freedom and that kind of rush to kind of get back into the saddle and make I just make sure I could still do it because I thought if the longer I leave it the more I'm going to think about it and it's better just to get on and, and do these things and this is all still actually fairly recent isn't it Paul was it last September this all happened uh last May yeah last May yeah okay. I, I got my leg set no I think I got my leg just in time for Christmas I think <laughs> leg in time for Christmas yeah my goodness and that's it if it is those kind of milestone things that now you link to certain parts of what happened to you I suppose so you've turned all this around really fast um and how how did you come to know about Team Brit and, and become introduced to us oh that's really interesting actually so I I had some time to kill in hospital as you do um between sort of the food and the and the operations and I got in touch with Blesma, who are an army charity that look after soldiers who've lost their limbs. And luckily, they look after you even if you've lost it outside of service. As long as you're, you know, got a pension and um, you're classed as a veteran, they'll they'll support you. Um, and my local rep got in touch, and and I sort of said, you know, this is what I love. This is who I am. And he said, oh, there's a there's a car team that race um, with disabled drivers, and he'd known some some guys go off and. And meet them and he said this is the details um and that was it i i got dave player's email address and said oh i hope you don't mind me asking but you know is there any advice you could give me or is there anything i could you know maybe come up and look at or or sort of see you know didn't really know what to expect and his reply was when can you come to brands hatch <laughs> <laughs> that was um that was his his opening gambit it was like when can you come and drive a car and i thought well that's brave of him because he doesn't really know you know anything about me and, and and all the rest of it and so I replied sort of give me a week um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that, that that was the start really I went up and uh, met uh, it was Jamie Favley the, the coach um, and JJ um, the mechanic uh, was the first mechanic I ever met he was up there I can't remember who the other drivers were but I think there was another driver um, I'm still a bit hazy about the details um, but they they stuffed me in a car and got me going around and and that was yeah I didn't think that would that would happen so quick so I was really happy about that. So straight away you were in there using using the hand controls because obviously um, you can't use both of your legs. So what was how easy was it to get to grips with those and and what was your impression of them? I think like by the second lap um, they were intuitive. Uh, Jamie was really good. He started me off sort of like take it easy take it easy and then two laps in he was like right let's go um let's get on it and uh start pushing the pace up um and it was fantastic it just it was something new to think about up till that point it had been how can i get on the bike and after the bike it was how can i get to brand's hatch and then from brand's hatch it was how can i learn to drive with the hand controls and from there um it just snowballed into um dave writing back and saying okay let's talk and before all of this would you have thought about car racing before 
no i mean i, I was i've always loved driving cars um but i was a motorcycle racer um at heart but i'm a, it's, it's being on track for me um i did the motorcycle racing because i was good at the motorcycle racing i never tried being at the car um it's a lot less accessible i think car racing than motorcycle racing um certainly from a budget point of view it's, yeah. it's harder to get into um so in a way the, the accident has sort of opened this door um, up for me to, to sort of get a get a foot into this world, get the foot into this world. So <laughs> in, in that respect, it's, it's been, you know, it's, it's been a blessing. There's always a silver lining with everything if you know where to look for it. And, you know, losing a leg, they let you park anywhere and you get a shot at going in a race team. So oh. <laughs> what, what more can you ask for, really? <laughs> oh, what an amazing way to look at life. I love that. So, so when um, you saw the hand controls and you had a go at them, obviously you've got a mechanical brain because you're into mechanical engineering and that's what you've done for, for your living for, for quite some time. So did you find it quite interesting how they'd been developed and, and what the potential was for them with people with different disabilities? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the first thing I, I sort of thought after I got out of the car is I, I want to meet the person who's made this because there's obviously been quite a lot of development into making the system because it's such a complex system but also the mind of the person that's created that electronic to hydraulic to uh, with pneumatic in the middle um, kind of controls um, sequences that's a really clever way of doing it um, and I'm sort of really interested in that and and how to develop it further and, and get feedback into it and get kind of progression into it and all those kind of things so um, yeah getting to meet Al after that and sort of just going you know like wow there's the person who, who made that kit is was a real special moment actually and so before long you were um officially a member of the team which is brilliant and you've been such an asset to our team and i know everybody just is thrilled to have you on on board <laughs> because you just couldn't there couldn't be a nicer guy to be around um and you soon became a driver in the brick car trophy which is what you're competing in this year and you were paired up with Tyrone um yeah. so you wouldn't obviously before being involved in the team you didn't know him at all nope. so what was it like meeting him and how has it been pairing up with someone that's been completely new to you oh no I, I absolutely love Tyrone to pieces he is such a such a great guy um and between uh, between us we've got all the limbs um he's, he's <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he's he, he's got loads of things he helps me with and i've got loads of things i help him with um uh, you know like his his weakness is you know, helmet buckles for sure um and mine is kind of getting places quickly so between us we can uh, <laughs> we, we can sort it all out but now he's a fantastic driver i really like him i love his attitude his sense of humor is absolutely on point got a real dry sense of humor he's got this amazing cheeky grin you just look at him when you know he's done something naughty and he's like <laughs> yeah, and he's, he's quiet isn't he he's quiet and so you you, you never wouldn't know but he's like you say he's got this real like glint in his eye and yeah uh, yeah qu quietly hilarious i think he's absolutely hilarious and, and i met some of his friends um last time and they're absolutely cracking guys as well they came down to watch him race um and we yeah we've had some great moments and and what's nice is even even when things aren't going well, the, the mood is still good. We're still chipper. Um, we're very much, I think, there for each other, even when it's not going right, because that's in a teammate, that's the best thing you want. If your teammates kind of in a huff because, you know, something you did or something, the car broke or whatever, it, it, it's, it's kind of really hard to keep um, you, you kind of your interest and your excitement up. But, with Ty, even when, you know, I've crashed the car or he's crashed the car, 
we're laughing about it. We like we're trying to work out ways to get you know help the mechanics buy them pizza, whatever it takes to try and undo whatever we've done. You know, we are two rookie drivers. We do we do tend to leave a bit of carnage in our in our. <laughs> in our <laughs> Um, not all our fault, but sometimes it is our fault. But it, it's 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 really nice to have someone you can work through that with. And you know, if he's feeling a little bit down, I'll try and cheer him up. And if I'm feeling a little bit down, he'll cheer me up. And that, that's really nice. And you started the season together uh, back in March at Silverstone. So this was first time racing a car, first time racing that car, first time racing with Tyrone. Tell us how that went. That was it was such a good weekend. I mean, I, I'm still grinning from that. It was it was brilliant. Um, two crashes in the first first session, one my fault, one not my fault, uh, which Ty very quickly forgave me for, which was really nice. Because <laughs> <laughs> I sort of came in a bit sheepish going, oh, Ty, I've, I've done this. Um, but luckily, uh, the, the, the crew are so slick, so good. Um, Dean, Raquel, JJ, they were all on it within, you know, seconds of it coming back to the, the pits and they, they had it stripped down, put back together um, and then it was back out on track. Um, in, in contrast to the guy that hit me and, and he, he was out for the rest, you know, he, he just sat and looked at his car for the rest of the, uh, the race. So it's so amazing having the rest of the team to back you up. Um, and even if it is your fault or it's not your fault, they don't care. They just get on it. They fix it. They get you back out there. And, and that is that that's a you know real team asset. It really is. And that's something that probably people don't realize, I think, uh, because we have this the story that we tell about ourselves and who we are is one side of us but also within that is this as you say this incredible incredible mechanical expertise that probably put a lot of the crews across the paddock to shame in terms of how quickly we can get a problem solved and get our teams back out there again I'd be really interested to know how many times they've failed to get a car out there and I I think there's very few absolutely I mean it it has to be catastrophic for them not to get the car back out Um, the team are so good um, and when you see them work, it, it's it's they're very very in tune with what they need to do and what their responsibilities are. Um, they're all very professional at their own level and know exactly what they're doing and how to do it. Um, it's really frustrating. You want to dive in there and you want to help and you want to hold things for them, but in the way in the end, you you just get in the way. The best thing you can do is step back, go and get pizza for them. You know, give them <laughs> pats on the back yeah. and encouragement, and and sort of just just be thankful that they're there doing such a great job to get us racing again because you, you do feel bad if, if you come in even if it's not your fault you know and, and someone hits you it's just it's the most wrenching feeling because you know all of that hard work that they've done to get the car ready and that's that's been impacted in in you out on track and you know could you, you avoided it or, or or whatever um you do really take that home uh, it really hits home yeah uh, and take so, it personally yeah absolutely because you're you don't want to be the weak link in the team um but they are very, very understanding. And, and the phrase, that's racing, is, is banned around a lot. Don't worry, that's racing. It, you know, it happens, which is certainly what I'm used to from my, my early backgrounds is if something goes wrong, it doesn't matter, you know, whose fault it is or whether the car, you know, has had a breakdown or whatever it is, it's how you move on from that. And it's how you keep your spirits up and keep the whole team pointing in the right direction. Because if you can't do that, you, you certainly, you know, you, you couldn't be a military unit and you couldn't be a race team for sure because you know everything would just fall apart and and i think you watch the best teams around the world and they are they they just get on with it um and there's a sense of community there that just holds them all together and certainly got that with team brit and that's i mean you've certainly had to put that into practice this season because after that really exciting start and you guys actually finished p5 i believe even though you yeah. started at the back of the grid at the race so yeah. what, a way to, what a way to start as i say with you know 
basically zero experience of doing this kind of stuff so far. Um, fantastic. And then the rest of the season has just been marred with really unfortunate things happening to you guys. So unfortunately, your car, which is the BMW um, 118, um, was really seriously damaged in testing. And you haven't actually raced it again this year yet, have you? No, we're still waiting for it back. Unfortunately, I think the damage, it, we, I think everyone thought the damage would be repairable quite quickly. And it's just one of those things where, where you unpick it, it, you just find more and more. And it's had to go off to a specialist um, chassis build, I believe, to be straightened. Um, and I think it is now back. But unfortunately, we've missed two rounds. And one of the replacement cars we had in was, again, untested. Um, and we had a great qualifying in it. Um, it, it. We really quickly got to over all of the, the issues that it had, um, which is something that normally takes weeks and would take you know train mechanics to go and look and pedal with. And this thing is just shoved out there. Um, <laughs> we all made the best of it. But unfortunately, <laughs> just before the race in the last quality, it, it expired beyond repair. Um, and it was it was, it was was gutting, but the team dealt with it. Um, Ty and I made peace with it really quickly. Uh, we then got on and supported um, Chris, um, especially in his race, because he had a lot going on, and James as well, um, and sort of tried to make ourselves useful in, in sort of other areas. Um, it is really frustrating, but these things happen and it just makes you more focused and more determined that when you get back, uh, Donington on the 14th will be even more ready uh, and even more good to go. So we're hoping from as it stands at the moment that we're hoping to get the BMW back on track for that day in August. That is that is the plan. Um, and I, I defer to the, the excellent mechanics and, and those guys <laughs> to, to, to see that through. Um, um, we'll be on hand for anything that they need, you know, pizza or late night fishing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I really hope you guys get back out there again. You know, it's um, you guys, as you say, you, you, you've handled it all so well. You both have kept on smiling, kept on so positive. And I know we all say, as you have, it's racing and it does happen. But unfortunately, it must be pretty disheartening to see it. But what's been really nice is that you've been along to uh, British GT races to cheer on Aaron and Bobby. You're always there with a smiling face. And I mean, how much does it mean to you to be there for your fellow drivers when they're they're, um, at a race for a weekend? Yeah, for, for me, the, the, the racing is obviously incredibly exciting and fun, challenging and all those great things. But for me, it's the it's the team behind it and being part of um, sort of a group of people that have got a common goal. Um, and they're, the goal of just getting out every weekend and getting the races done is obviously there. But obviously the bigger goal of getting to Le Mans as, as a team is is you know fantastic. And I, I want to be a part of that. Um, and right through to, you know, helping the sponsors that have, have kind of helped me and, and making sure their kind of interests are looked after it, it's all one one big uh kind of project if you like and and it's all as important as, as all the other bits and one thing that you just touched on there paul is sponsorship and um the on the uh, most recent edition of this podcast i chatted to mike who is our commercial director and is responsible for getting the funding in um which is quite enormous to do what we do but what's been really lovely about meeting you and hearing how you're going to um support your racing is the amazing personal friendships that you've got which go into the business sphere and you've got some people who are basically family who are helping you do what you're doing haven't you yeah absolutely um after the i came out of the army i I was lucky enough to come out with a lorry license something the army sorted out for me whilst i was in and um i ended up helping a, a friend um with a company that he worked for doing some long distance haulage work and and again, really quickly, 
it, I've sort of discovered it was a family that uh, a company that had a real sort of family ethos. The the team was really tight. It was a small to medium sized company, but everybody was on amazing terms with everybody else. And it was a real kind of glimpse into what life used to be like um, back in the military. I sort of found a, a little sliver of it here. And before long, I was sort of doing job after job after job for them, doing European lorry driving work, taking their, their kit out and helping them set stuff up. And I just sort of got integrated into their little family, even as an outsider. I was sort of really welcome and really quickly made really good friendships there. And when this first started, I I called up the the, the big guy there and um, and sort of said, look, you, you, you've got a lot of industry contacts. Do you know anyone that might be willing to sponsor me to go racing um, uh, and sort of help me? And he said, no, he said, uh, so we're not not going to ask around. Uh, we're just going to do it ourselves. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> we just sort of turned around and said, "Yeah, no, we'll we'll do that." Um, yeah, we 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 would like to be involved and and help you out. And that was just phenomenal. Joining Paul's next crazy challenge. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and, and then uh, I got a second. The, the 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 guy I went to um uh the to Africa with um runs a company dealing with uh, carbon fiber. And uh, they they got involved really heavily really early on and said, look, we'll we'll help with all the parts and the the kind of the specialist engineering and bits like that. Um, and and they jumped in straight away and said, yeah yeah no we'll we'll do that and, and help out. And you know, it's just fantastic how people have sort of jumped to say, right, this is the next this is the next um, sort of challenge or adventure. Um, you know, how can we help and get involved? Well, I think that's a really good reflection of the impact that you have on people, Paul. That so many people have rallied around to help you do this. So. Um, I think it's fantastic. I really hope that you and T get on the track in August um, and finally get a taste of racing again because it's been too long, hasn't it? <laughs> it has. I mean, it's, it is really fun going to watch the other guys race and it's really lovely to support them. But there's a bit of you that is just itching to get in a car and just <laughs> eat that when no one's looking and do a few laps. But uh, obviously, we, we have to refrain from that and be very oh. well behaved. Well, from, from my perspective, it's been absolute joy meeting you and having you as part of the team, Paul. I, I honestly mean it when I say I don't think I've met many nicer guys themselves <laughs> we're really lucky to have you Thanks, um, and uh, wishing you all the very best in the weeks leading up to august and um here's to a really great race thanks lucy it's been really nice chatting you too thanks paul take care bye-bye